Amen. Uh, God is good, and, and uh, I'm excited about this series. We've been talking basically on the subject of purpose. Uh, as a pastor, um, not only has this subject come to me uh, in my own life, but it, I would say probably just generally speaking without getting into specifics, this is where a lot of people want counsel, direction. This is where people want to know what is God's will for my life, right? We've all at some point in our lives, hopefully, uh, have had to come to grips with that question. Why am I here? What am I doing? What is my purpose? God give me direction. And a lot of times, um, sometimes uh, we just come to God just with that one question. That's where we start. I don't know what I'm doing. You're the big creator. You're the big man upstairs, right? You've got the, you're the man with the plan. And you've got a plan for me. I know that I'm not just here to, you know, live my shabby job and go about my day about my it's it's just amazing how just even instinctually it's within us to want and long for purpose I, I i don't know that i've ever come across an individual that said you know what i don't care about my purpose i don't care what i do it's whatever i've never i've never met that person maybe you have uh, and I'm, I'm sure at some point we have those moments in our lives, probably out of giving up and out of, you know, the, the heartache of trying to discover your purpose. But there's nobody, I don't believe, on this planet that just truly believes uh, I, I have no purpose. I have no direction. I don't need to know. I don't want to know. I, I think everybody some way longs for that. I heard someone say one time that's amazing. You can ask a child, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it's this huge aspiration, president, astronaut, police officer, ninja. And sometimes it's all of all the above. My son uh, was star student of the week or whatever. And so they make this poster of him. And, uh, and one of the questions is, uh, and everybody gets star student of the week. That's not anything special. Every <laughs> child at some point in the week is going to get it. Ain't that right? Canaan gets it, yeah. So they bring on this poster, and it's got like all these questions that they got to fill out, and then they hang it up in the classroom. Apparently, he was telling me about it today, and and they you know make a big deal out of it and all this. And um, he put on there uh, what he wants to be when he grow up: preacher, drummer, ninja. And little does he know, you've got to be a ninja to do both of those. So. Uh, but anyways, you know, sometimes we, uh, you know, a as children, we have these aspirations. But then so I heard this study said the older they get, the smaller the aspirations become. Why? Because this reality begins to set in that I can't really achieve what I thought I could do. The, the, and, and this is why God wants us to have childlike faith. Because there's so much he wants us to believe for and that he needs us to believe for. He says, I'm not even pleased until my people are walking. It's impossible to please him without faith childlike faith that means believing him for big stuff that you once thought you know when we came into the kingdom we had these ideas of what we could do and as we begin to walk out this thing and as we begin to live out this thing you know on sundays we're talking about winning within and we begin to recognize that when i came into the kingdom uh you know it wasn't all roses and cherries it was a bullseye target on my back the enemy and this was really cool the the same value that god places on you so does the enemy Sometimes we're the only one out of the three that don't recognize our value. But the devil's only bringing any attack and any adversity against you because he, know how, he knows how valuable you are. The Israelites left Egypt 
And then Pharaoh, don't be surprised when the enemy sends his best chariots out to get you when you're on the verge of breaking through into liberty and into freedom. Why? Because the enemy knows how valuable you are. And God knows how valuable you are. But until you know how valuable you are, we'll never walk it out. We'll never live it out. And so sometimes we're trying to learn as much as the devil does. (laughs) I mean that. He knows a lot about you. He knows more about you than you do. I heard one person say one time that when uh, you become born again, you need the Holy Spirit to reintroduce you to your, to your, to your new self. You got to have a meeting and say, hey, this is what you're capable of. This is what you can do. This is the power that's at your disposal. This is the resource. You don't have to live that way, talk that way, act that way, behave that way, think that way anymore. This is the new you. Hello, you. We need to have that introduction meeting. We need to be introduced to our new nature, the kingdom nature of God. And so we're talking about purpose. We're talking about recognizing and walking into the purpose of God. And we're using uh, a very familiar individual in the Bible. You know, if we went across and asked, you know, said, hey, name the uh, first person that comes to your head in your Bible, David would might be one of them. David's very popular. David had uh, a very uh, awesome story. A lot of times, the first thing we think about is David versus Goliath, David and the giant. Uh, and that's just a great, you know, children's Bible story that sticks with us. But laden in this story and laden in these passages is so many awesome things that we're just uncapping. Sometimes I'm uncapping things that I didn't even know were in there. We are, we're popping the top off of this thing and we're finding out through the life of David, what does it look like to walk in our purpose? The first thing we see is that David in first Samuel chapter 16, when we are introduced to him, he's, uh, Uh, being anointed king and he's being anointed to take on uh, a very he's being called to take on a very high calling to be the king of israel to lead god's people as a king but he's not where you think you would find kings he's not in you know king school he's not even being trained for this he's not even thinking along those lines we find him in a pasture with a bunch of sheep which is where God loves to find his people. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. I'll say that again. God does not call the qualified. He's not waiting for you. to. A lot of times we uh, assign purpose to perfect and a, a different past. We assign purpose to promotion and a certain type of paycheck and a certain amount of influence but purpose begins in the pasture purpose begins where no one knows purpose begins where you're not even thinking about david is not out there in the in the uh uh, pasture praying that one day he could have this great assignment of, of being king of israel he's just going about his daily business and that's where people of purpose are They're sitting in the cubicles next to you, and they're driving on the freeway next to you, and they're stuck in the traffic right in front of you. People of purpose are going about their daily business. They're not doing anything out of the ordinary. They're not doing anything necessarily different. They are ordinary people with an extraordinary calling. That's what that is, is extraordinary. They are natural people with a supernatural calling. And so here's David out in the pasture, and we see in 1 Samuel chapter 16, just trying to walk through a little bit of this, catch us up a little bit. 
we see him called in, uninvited initially. The prophet shows up and says, I'm here to anoint the king of Israel. I've come here uh, by God, but God didn't show, God didn't give him exactly, okay, there's going to be a boy, he's out in the pasture, he's going to be the youngest of the brothers. He just says, this is where you're going to go. You're going to go to Bethlehem. Now you're going to go to, to Jesse's house. And then from there, see, that's how purpose happens a lot. It just gets unveiled as you go through the, we want God to give us the whole path. You know, I'll, I'll tell you something. If God gave you the whole path, you wouldn't take it. If he gave you the whole path, you wouldn't take the first step. I promise you. You would say it's not God. <laughs> I know I would have. If God would have showed me the path, the end product, but then everything I would go through or everything that was necessary to get that product, I would have said, nope, that must be the devil. That's not, that's not my plan. It's not my purpose. not my call. There's no way. I've shared a little bit about my personal testimony uh, in, in this regard because sometimes I feel like David. Sometimes I, I feel like in my life I was and, and is David walking out, living out my purpose through the mundane stuff, through the ordinary stuff. Not invited, not looking for connections, just doing the daily regimen and then God will drop something in the way. I, I never got my next level, my next step if you will, on my knees. I gave, I got it working with my hands. And sometimes we spend more time praying about the things that God's just wanting us to work out. Let, let me see how well you do in this area. I know that this isn't the end game. I know that this isn't the end call. I know that this isn't what, what you're going to do forever. But would you do it like you would do it forever? If this was the last thing I ever, if I asked you to sweep floors for the rest of your life, how would you do it? If that was your assignment. And so he, he puts us, he has those, we have those pasture moments. He puts us in those moments, not to necessarily build our craft or gift in a certain area, but he's working on our heart. Because that's really what you need in the palace. In the palace, you don't need all the stuff on the outside. He's looking for people with the right heart. And that's exactly what he says to Samuel. He says, do not look at the outside. Man looks at the outside. Man looks at the appearance. Man looks at the promotion. Man looks at the, the zeros behind the paycheck. Man looks at the car you drive and the house you live in. Man looks at those things. Man looks at all the friends you have and, and, and the relationships you have and the past and the pedigree and the degrees and, and all the stuff that you've gained in your life. But God looks at the heart. I'm convinced that many times we write ourselves off because we don't have the stuff in our hand when God is saying, I want the stuff in your heart. I mean, I know I did. Well, I didn't come from that background. I didn't have that uh, type of connection. I didn't have this. I didn't have that. And all the while, God said, I didn't need any of that. God works with different tools. He uses a different type of person. He's looking for a person with the right heart. We talked about the pasture last week. We said that we overestimate what God can do in the palace and we underestimate what God can do in the pasture. We overestimate what God can do. Well, when I get, and it's always one day when, right? Well, when I get that promotion, when I, get, when I make that kind of money, when I get that kind of influence, when I write that book and God is saying, no, 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 you'd be surprised at what I could do right now. You'd be surprised at what I could do in the pasture. We overestimate what God can do in the palace, but we underestimate what God can do in the pasture. 
We saw that. We said this, that the, the pasture is obscurity. It's where you're not seen, not noticed, uh, uh, not even invited. It's out in, 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 in la-la land. It's where nobody's watching except one. Audience of one. God's looking. God is, is working uh, in our lives at this point. But we said that that's where seeds are developed, is in obscurity when no one's looking. We said that's when babies are developed. You know, those are formative years for a baby, is that first nine months, and they're not even in this planet, in this world yet, on the outside. You hear me? They're, they're, and, and you can never tell a mother, are you sure you're pregnant? Are you sure it's a baby? And it's amazing how the mom will alter her life because of what she's carrying. See, when you're carrying vision and you're carrying purpose, you'll begin to alter your life. You'll begin to alter decisions that shows you're expecting. And people, are, are, are you carrying something? You got something going on? Is there something you're not telling us? That's right. Because people with purpose live with different decisions. People with vision, vision will, uh, the Bible says in, in Proverbs, it says uh, that my people perish without vision. That word perish, if you look it up, actually means to cast off restraint. It means they live free, carefree, careless, doing whatever, waking up when they want, going to bed when they want, eating what they want, having whatever friends they want, posting whatever they want on social media. But people with vision live with restraint. They now restrict themselves. Why? Because I've got an end goal. And people with vision will sacrifice temporary pleasure for future purpose. But people without vision will sacrifice future purpose for temporary pleasure. And so this is obscurity. Nobody's looking. Nobody's seeing this. There's no show for man. But this is where God is doing his work. We said that the pasture then becomes the development. The pasture is where development takes place. So you can't go straight to the palace. David, I know that you want to get on the caravan with the prophet and go right back to Israel, go right back to the palace and say, all right, sign me up. When I'm there, he's anointed. He's got the anointing oil dripping off of his forehead. It's on his clothes. But where does he go? Right back to the pasture. Why? Because just because I've seen my calling doesn't mean I'm prepared for it. God will show you what now you have to make the decisions to develop yourself and prepare yourself for. God will give you, and, and this bothered me. This bothered me. I was like, God, why even tell me? <laughs> why even tell me I'm going to be in the palace when you want me to turn around and go back to the pasture? He says, because I always call it before anybody sees it. If I called it when everybody sees it, it's not faith. That's why I tell Abraham, you're a father of many nations when you're still 75 years old and you can't even think about having kids. That's why I call Gideon when he's at the bottom of the wine press, not when he's standing on saying, let's do this. Let's take these guys. No, God will call it before you see it. Because God operates by faith. If he waited until David proved that he belonged in the palace, then we wouldn't need God's blessing or God's approval. Man already picked their king that, that they thought belonged there. And then see how that turned out. 
But now God says, I've got a man. I've got my own. I've got my king, a man after my own heart. So the pasture is the development process. We can't go straight to the palace. And many times it's the, it's the talent that you don't think you'll ever need is the one that God wants to use. We find out that he's in the pasture herding sheep and he's playing a harp. And King Saul ends up with this distressing spirit because the spirit of God abandoned him. And now this distressing spirit comes upon him. And so his people get together and say, let's find someone that's good with the strings, man. Let's, let's, let's get that guy out here. Oh, yeah, well, we found one back in Bethlehem. He's out in the sheep and, and, and got this whole list. And, and he's really good at the harp. He could do a great job. So it was the talent that he, I mean, what, what, talent, what, what good is that to be king? But yet that's the thing that God wants to use. We can't write anything off with God. He's not looking for you to, we have this idea of all the things we got to have in place. And he's saying, just do what I asked you to do and watch how I'll use it for my glory. And then lastly, we saw that the pastor is where you get to know God. That's where this relationship is built because many people want to know what God wants, but they don't want to know who. And God's purpose is not about knowing something. It's about knowing someone. You will find that you will better know God's purpose for your life and you will have a better understanding of the direction and the steps he wants to take you when you get to know him. When you make your relationship with him a priority, all that other stuff falls in line. And you won't have any more anxious decisions. Am I, is this my time? Is this my season? Is this where I'm supposed to go? Is this what I'm supposed to do? Well, I, I've got all these options. And, and, and see, I, I know my wife's purpose, and I know my wife's will, and I know her intentions because I know her. I know what she wants, and I know what she doesn't want. I know what makes her happy, and I know what makes her mad. I know. Not because I sat down and said, give me the list. Okay, what is it? What makes you mad? What gives you? I get to know her. And out of a relationship with her, I discover her purpose. The purpose becomes a byproduct of the relationship. And so this is probably one of the most important points right here. We want to skip the pasture because we don't want to spend time getting to know God. We just want his stuff. And so many of us, just want God to put his blessing on our will. We want God to say yes to my idea of how this is. God, is this good? This is it? Okay, so you're going to line everything out, right? You're going to find the place and you're going to pay for it and you're going to give me all the relationships I need and all the connect. And he's saying, once you get to know me, I've got a whole other plan that's way better than any of that. Amen. Today I want to talk about transition. Transition. And there's a couple points here in 1 Samuel chapter 17. As we get out of the, the pasture, and now we've moved into 1 Samuel chapter 17. And um, we're at the point now where David has been given an assignment. Anointed, soon to be future king of Israel. And he's given an assignment. A great assignment, an amazing assignment. His assignment is to take cheese to his brothers from his dad. Doesn't that sound like what a king ought to be doing? 
Doesn't that sound like what an anointed, called of God? I mean, they were there. My brothers were there. They saw laying on of hands. They saw the anointing oil. They saw the prophet go through the motions and do all the stuff. And they, they saw the, the miracle take place. I've been anointed king. Even, uh, at, you know, at their disgust as one after one after one until seven of them all get passed by and say, there's got to be another one. Yeah, number eight's out in the field. They watched. They had to sit and wait. Because the, the, the prophet said, we will not sit down. We will not do anything until that guy gets here. Get number eight in here right now. We're not doing nothing. Great. So I'm getting passed over. And I've got to watch them anoint the younger brother. This is awesome. i got to stick around and watch. The prophet's making me watch. I mean, I just want to go to my room. I just want to get in my Camaro and just drive off, right? Because older brothers always have Camaros. Amen. In my head. Hallelujah. Is that even a cool, that's not a cool car anymore. It was when I was growing up. Camaros, RS and SS and Z28. There's okay, we got one. Okay, great. Awesome. Awesome. In verse 12, it says, Now David was the son uh, of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons, and the man was old, advanced in years, the days in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went were Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So at this point, we're about a year after his anointing, give or take. And he has been assigned uh, by King Saul's men, like we said, to come to the palace, not to be king, not to be master, not to be in charge, but to serve. That's interesting. Could you go to the place that God's called you to, but not be in charge, but to serve? He's been called there to serve. And so he's been making these trips. And so now we're about a year in of these trips. And he's returned back home to his uh, uh, father, Jesse, helping take care of the sheep. Verse 15, or I'm sorry, verse 16. And the Philistines drew near and presented himself, this is Goliath, 40 days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son, David, take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning. He didn't wait. See, when 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 you're uh, living a life of purpose and you're living a life of direction, you don't sit around and, and wait. When, when the call comes, when, when the assignment comes, you, you've got to be on point. You've got to rise early, he says. He rose early in the morning. And this is the one that I really want us to see. And left the sheep with the keeper. Left the sheep. With the keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded. And this is so loaded right here. First off, we see that he rose early. So when we see that a new season, new assignment uh, 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 that, that has been given, you've got to go after it with intentionality. 
It would have been easy to rise early if you got the call to go to the palace. But can you rise early to serve someone else? To do something that, again, as we said in the first week of this uh, uh, series, we're now in what, four weeks in, I think? Uh, in the first week, we said that many times our purpose presents itself in the mundane, routine tasks. And we're looking for these great assignments, and God is saying, can you just take some cheese? That's why this series is called Cheese and Giants. Cheese and Giants. Because this is how you go from serving cheese to slaying giants. You don't, you don't just you know, pick out fights. and He's not looking for the fight. He's not looking for the battle. He's looking to serve his dad. And now his dad sent him on assignment to serve cheese to his brothers. The anointed king. He already knows he's been called. And he's anoint, he is serving cheese to people that were passed over. And he's playing a harp for someone that's already been removed. My gosh, if we could just pick up on this stuff. I'm telling you, half, half the people today would not serve that kind of man. That's an evil king. He's already been renewed. He's already been removed. God's already put me in place. How do I get there? How do I? And he's serving, playing. He is tormenting the things that are tormenting King Saul. Because it says that as he would play, those spirits would leave. He, he is frustrating the thing that's frustrating his king. Even though his king's already been removed. Even though he's already the rightful king to the throne and there is no you know we want that that path of least resistance we want that straight shot we we want it to be overnight okay i got the anointing give me the throne give me the scepter give me the control give me the, the and god's saying no, no no there's things i'm working in you there's things i'm developing there's more that i need you to do he spent a year playing a harp for a king that's already been removed and now his next assignment is just this menial i need you to take cheese to your brother it's what we think sometimes might be a setback. God is saying it's a setup. Imagine if he would have said, no. No, I'm not taking it. Then he would never have been in position to take the giant out. But right here he says, number one, that he rose early. So we see there's got to be some audacity. There's got to be some intentionality. You, you, you don't lackadaisically casually walk in to your purpose. You, you've got to be intentional when the assignments come. Even if you don't think they're of that great importance. I just believe that God has a different level of importance than we do. And then the next thing he says is he left the sheep with the keeper. And that's interesting to me. I think transition... And I've, I've been now in leadership, pastoral leadership. This is my 10th year in pastoral leadership and in and, and, and the behind-the-scenes leadership inner workings of church now for, uh, you know, going on 15 years, uh, which isn't a very long time. But there is one thing that I've noticed over these 15 years. This is probably one of the sloppiest things we do as church people is transition. I was going to play a video for you. I couldn't figure out how to download it. Uh, there was a video of a comedian making light of this subject. And he, he, he's in, in a minute and a half names all these different ways that Christians say no. 
or Christians, we say things like, uh, it's not my season, um, you know, I don't feel the prompting or, you know, all these spiritual terms that we come up, you know, making light of it. But at the end of the day, the transitioning in our lives, we feel that we can put a, a, a code on it. We can put a, a spiritual covering on it and it justifies how we go from, but this is the thing, how you come out of one season is how you enter the next. This is so important. He could have easily have just said, okay, next assignment, taking cheese. All right, I'm taking cheese. But they throw that statement in there. He left the sheep. That means he did not leave one season and go on to the next without making sure the previous season was covered. Notice that not even God did that. King Saul's time was up, but until I've got the right man prepared, I will leave even an evil king in office, even a man that he has already had the kingdom removed from him. First Samuel chapter 15, he's already been removed. I've made it very clear. And then he has no interest to turn his path. He has no interest to make himself right. And he says, but I'm going to leave him in the position of king for another 14 years, 15 years. Because David was on the run for 14 years. We're already a year into his anointing at this point, and he hasn't even been put on the run yet. We haven't even covered that part of purpose. When we start talking about honor. But he says he left, he left the sheep with a keeper. And we've got to understand that how we leave one season is how we go into the next. Do not abandon what you have now for what's next. This is the lesson that we learn in this moment. Okay, God, if you're, you're assigning me over here, then you must have some kind of way of covering this back here. If it's God, if it's God, he will, he will have thought about the previous season before he starts assigning you to the next season. We've, we've got to do a better job in this area. We've got to do a better job of recognizing, okay, is it my season? I, I remember when, when our time came to come here to Valdosta. And, and I've also learned this in transition because people struggle with transition and, you know, should I stay or should I go? Who, who sang that song? I know, I know you're thinking it, all you spiritual people in here. Is that the clash? Should I stay or should I go? I'm not going to sing it. I don't know it. I don't have a singing voice either. That's not my gift. This is what I've learned. Many times when it looks like you should stay, it's time to go. And many times when you think you should go is when God needs you to stay. I heard just this past weekend someone made a powerful statement on this powerful quote. He said, God will give you the faith to go, but sometimes he'll also give you the grace to stay. Abraham needed faith to go. But there's also times where you need the grace to continue to endure what's going on around you. So our initial instinct is, man, this is messed up. This is jacked up. I got to get out of here. This my, it's time to go. My, my season's up. And God's saying, no, no, no. I need you to stay, and I will give you the grace to endure the mess. 
uh, you know, as, as a pastor, I, I've seen this before in leadership. You know, everybody's with you when everything's are good. But you don't find out who's really with you until things get rough. Who's really got your back when other people start talking about you. And when the finances aren't so great and the growth isn't so great and the excitement isn't up in the air, you find out who's with you in those that don't take sides and that say, you know what? We're with you. We're going to stick this thing out. We're going to stick this thing through. I mean, we've all had moments in our life where, you know, your, your pleasure and your life being at 100 attracts everybody and they all want to be a part of that party with you. But all of a sudden, things start falling apart, and things aren't going so good. And it's like, where'd they all go? Oh, we're, we're praying for you. We're praying for you. You're not even sending me texts anymore. You're sending me Facebook messages. <laughs> That's when you know it's gotten bad. That's when you know. The abandonment that takes place in these transitions. And I always want to be in a position, I want to, I, I told God this because I've been through some of those scenarios. And I told God, I said, God, if you want me to be the leader that sticks around to help the individual that's in trouble, I'll do it. Rather than just run and disassociate and say, no longer, I'm not doing it anymore. If you need me to be the one that will stick around and say, I will be by their side. Because I know no one else will. Yeah, sure, it's easy to fall in line and attack. It's easy to fall in line and say, uh, 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 you know, they've lost it and, you know, we've got to go find another place and go find another job and go find another. Uh, and, and, and these are the times where God is really wanting you to stay. But then in my life, we were blowing and going with our children's ministry in St. Augustine three and a half years in. I had the whole year planned out. We just moved into a brand new facility. I mean, that's, the, that's when you want to stay. Hyped up, excitement level, you know, through the roof. I mean, kids are coming in, growing, churches growing. Just an awesome, a lot like what we're having right now. Just an awesome uh, uh, time of, of church in St. Augustine and, and, and just doing a wonderful job. And then all of a sudden, bloop, about Austin. And at first I was like, huh. I remember it was May 2010. I always thought I was going to move back to Texas eventually and start a church. That's where I'm from is the Dallas-Fort Worth area and, um, you know, didn't really know where, but, you know, just always wanted to be back in Texas. And so, uh, you know, that was always on my mind. I always told my pastor, hey, you know, I, I think that's what God's calling me to do. You start a church and I think it'll be in Texas. No timeline. Uh, when I took the timelines off, that's when God really started opening things up. Let me just throw that in as a little nugget. When I quit putting timelines on it and saying, oh, I'll be here, you know, five years, or I'll do this for two years, or I'll, uh, I'll accept this for a year. And when I took that off and said, God, you do what you want. I'll do it for 10 years. I'll do it for two years. I don't care. There was, I, I went back home one time, a little sidetrack, and we were here. We had only been here two years. And I went and ministered for a pastor friend of mine in Texas. And uh, uh, he said, so how long do you think you'll be there? And I said, the longer I'm there, the longer I think I'll be there. Because I've got seed in the ground. The more you invest, the more you want to stick around to harvest it up. I'm not going anywhere unless what the Holy Spirit tells me. And I don't have a timeline. I told him, I said, I don't have timelines. 
I, I went down that road and that was the worst because when I had a timeline of how long I was going to be doing something, it was just length. It's kind of like when you tell your when, when your when your uh, kid says, uh, you know, uh, how long is it going to be? And say, ask again, I'll make it longer. It's kind of like that scenario. Fine, I'll quit asking. <laughs> Shorten this thing up. But we were down there, and the ministry was blowing and going. Children's ministry is doing wonderful. And then Valdosta shows up on the map. May 2010, I go back to Texas, and for the first time, I don't know why I can't explain it to you, it didn't feel like home. I felt like I was in somebody else's house. I felt like I was in somebody else's town. I felt like these were different friends. I was like, I, who are you? Just supernatural little the following week, I come back, and Pastor Earl is, is driving up to help Pastor Brian at the time, who was uh, overseeing Anchor Faith Church here uh, when we were over in the Remerton location, do a leadership thing. And before I could even think, it came out of my mouth, can I go? I don't even know why. I was on staff, so I had the liberty to. I didn't have to you know, ask off work or anything. But I just, can, can I go with you? And he was like, um, sure, yes. So I came up here for two days with them, hung out in Valdosta. I mean, that, that's what it was. Leave that, move ahead to October of 2010. That's when the thing started moving for Valdosta and started opening up those conversations, and we just knew that was it. We knew that God was planting those little seeds along the way. Nothing was, in, in fact, you know, Pastor Earl and I both were like, what are we going to do? I mean, the children's ministry is doing phenomenal. We've got to find, I don't want you to go. You're, you're, you know, doing a great job here. You're doing a wonderful job. You know, we love having you here, but we've, we've got to follow the Holy Spirit. And over that time, over the next 10 months, we began to train up leadership in St. Augustine to take over the children's ministry so that we could transition to be here. We left the sheep with the keeper. You keep on going here in verse uh, 21, for Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And look at verse 22. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper and ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. So here's the second scenario. Okay, so he's already left the sheep with somebody back at home in Bethlehem to deliver cheese. Now he's on the battle. Now he's seeing the scene for himself firsthand of what's taking place. And this is what's so cool about people with purpose. Because where people uh, without purpose see opposition, people with purpose see opportunity. Because you've got a whole battlefield full of army trained, military trained individuals that are backing away from the fight. And now you get one man with purpose and he's running towards it. He's saying, excuse me, what did you say? What, what are you talking about? Do you hear? And that's where we get this whole conversation. But even in the middle of delivering the cheese, when he saw the next thing come up, I mean, some of us, when we see that next thing, the new exciting thing, so the cheese isn't as exciting, but the fight is more exciting than the cheese. And many times we'll go bolting running after that. And he says, no, no, no. Listen, I need you to take care of these supplies. You got that? You got that covered? Because there's another assignment out here for me. I didn't realize it. I didn't know it when I came out here. I thought I was just serving cheese, but apparently I need to slay a giant. Can you take care of the cheese? Apparently they need my help. Because that's what people with purpose will do. 
People with purpose will intimidate those without. You get around someone with purpose and they start wanting to go after everything and they want to start taking this mountain and charging this giant. And people without purpose like, whoa, what are you what are you doing? Nobody. We haven't done that in 30 years. Nobody's ever gotten that position without this kind of degree. That's what they'll do. That's what they'll do to you. Oh, no, you, you, you can't get alone with that kind of. You can't start a business with. They'll start talking you out of it. You see that later on. He says, and Eliab, his oldest brother, obviously he's a little ticked off because he didn't get the king thing. He's like, don't you belong in the pasture with the sheep? Because that's what people without purpose will do, is they'll start referring to you and what you used to do. But in this transition, I'm getting ahead of myself. In this transition, he's leaving how you leave one season determines how we go into the next. How do we know when God is transitioning? How do we know when God is calling us? Don't look for the great assignment. Look for the assignment. And the less limits and the less the less qualifications God has to meet that you've set up We've all done that. Okay, God, if you're going to give me a new job, it's going to have to be in this town. It's going to have to be this much money. It's going to have to be with this company. We're wanting God to fill our boxes instead of saying, instead of just saying, God, I will be your box. <laughs> Wherever, whenever, however. David is just taking an assignment. But we've got to be so careful when we take a new assignment, how we leave the old assignment. I, 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 church people, we should be leaving places better than we found it. Come on, guys. They shouldn't be thanking God that you're putting in your two weeks. They, they should be saying, man, what are we going to do? How, we can't be. This is huge. They'll start offering you more money to keep you. This is how, this is how God's people. I, I don't care what the world does. I don't care what their standard is. I don't care how they operate or what they think is okay. But we've got to leave places better then we found it. We've got to go into places where we are such uh, an asset and we are such uh, uh, the anointing on our life. They don't even know what they're losing, but they know they're losing something. They don't know there's a call on your life. They don't know there's an anointing. They don't know that there was a reason why when you came in the room, everybody got happy. They don't know that as long as you were there, sales were up. But when you weren't, sales went down. They don't know why. They just know we need you here. That's the kind of presence that we should be leaving. The how we leave one season. Many times we can derail ourselves off of the track to our purpose. Not just because of the assignments, but because of how we go from one assignment to the next. Bitter, angry, offended, 
glad to be out of there. Rather than saying, what, what do I bring to the table? What is it that I'm, I'm really offering to this company? Is it really just my service? Or is it my character? Is it the talent or the gift that I provide? Or is it the integrity that I do it with? These are the things that God's people process. These are the things that God's people ask. And when a new season comes up, look, I've seen people that did phenomenal in a season, serve with all their heart, but the way that they transitioned left a bad taste in in the people's mouth. Well, man, we we thought they were just outstanding people. I mean, just upright, you know, they, they did everything right. But the way that they left... I mean, they left us in a hole. I mean, we're having to work so hard to, to make up. and We need to do everything we can to transition properly. It will affect the next season. It absolutely will. I know that we like to think that it's a new season, new day, new assignments. It has nothing to do with the past. But God, part of, part of the new season is the transition. To God, he's saying, I wonder how they'll handle this. I wonder how they'll communicate this. I wonder if they will train up somebody to take their place before they vacate. This is what is on God's heart. This is how we live above standard. This is how we live higher than what the world. I mean, status quo, we don't want to live there. We want to raise the bar. Raise the standard. Amen.